tonight's episode of Board Chitless is sponsored by The Game Steward. The Game Steward is an online game store offering Kickstarter board games out of print and imported games at reasonable prices. It's time to play. Hey there, chitheads, and welcome back to another episode of Board Chitless. I'm Lecky, and today I'm joined by... Tristan! And we've been playing Lovecraft Letter and Runebound. But before we get to that, we just thought we'd talk a little bit about UK Games Expo, which uh, Tristan was exhibiting at this year, and I popped by and said hello. How did you find the show this year, Tristan? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, UK Games Expo is always a good laugh, and we were in a weird position this year because we were demoing uh, Gloom and Kill 4, 1066, yeah. Tears to Many Mothers, and Lifeform which are uh, obviously our three games, our three yeah. sort of uh, landmark games. But we had the, t- the demo copies available and no copies to sell, so no actual stock. <laughs> so it's literally like, here's all the games that we have, and uh, you can't buy any of them. You have to pre-order yeah. them through the Kickstarter or whatever. So it was a bit strange, but it was very good. And it was um, mostly it was a brilliant opportunity to meet existing backers who were already yeah. on board for one or two or all three of the games and sort of show them, you know, what, what we have and what we're yeah. going to be delivering this year. So it was really exciting. It was really exhausting, to be honest. It is crazy. <laughs> a lot of time in your feet. It is, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you were pitching with us last year and, and you were there yeah. for, you know, jumping on the stand this year as well. So it, it does take it out of you standing around all day, but it is sort of um, a, a good like problem to have kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's, def- it's a great uh, position to be in to be able to meet so many cool gamers and stuff. Definitely, yeah. And then um, a lot of people were um, drawn towards Lifeform, the nice colourful board, but then quite a few people still coming to see 1066 and Gloom of Killforth, which, you know, being the, the you know the elder statesman of your games, it's great to see there's still renewed interest in that, even after the reprint, you know, everyone still wants to come see you and have a look and see what's going on. Yeah, it's fantastic that it's still drawing so much interest, because I think it's still sort of unique in, in uh, you know, of, of its type, of its kind. Very much so, very much so. So, yeah, it was, it was lovely to see that it's still drawing interest. And, and the great thing about these expos isn't just the opportunity to show off your games and that, but the people, you know, everyone you meet is just, they're all, <laughs> they're they're all like us. They're all enthusiastic yeah. gamers. They, they want to play games. And, um, you know, some of the guys that we met were... were asking for autographs and stuff, which is fantastic. <laughs> but you, when, when you understand and you're trying to sort of, you've got like a few minutes of people's time because yeah. the event is huge. They've got loads of other stands to go and see. So it's a brilliant um, thing that they come over to spend time at our little stand. Um, so you've only got like a couple of minutes to sort of draw their attention and tell them everything that you can about the games. And some of these guys were already backers and had already played the game and they're as enthusiastic about the game as you are so you're sort of trying to match their enthusiasm and sort of and and that's an absolutely brilliant position to be in because you know it we're out there now we're on the map gloomy killforth landed we had some great success last year and we're looking forward to the game arriving again with reprint and expansions this year so no absolutely a brilliant event it took us a couple of days to recover but we're fully recovered now and <laughs> it's always the way it's yeah like a festival you always come back horse with broken back <laughs> it is yeah no it's exactly like a festival a gaming festival yeah so and we met like uh, suppliers distributors we met the guys from asthma day and um, all these other guys oh shut up and sit down came over to the stands too yeah that was that was really cool yeah so they um called me on the press night and were like we've 
heard about Lifeform, we want to play it, and I was like, of course, come over to the stand and check it out. So Quinns and the other chaps came over on the Saturday morning, yeah. um, and Mark Chaplin, the Lifeform designer, was there to give them a full demo of the game, and it went really well. So, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of thing is just... Um, amazing really for us yeah, you know it's always brilliant to kind of like um garner some attention especially from like from our point of view you know some people that are so like almost like they want to say, don't like to say lofty but you know like um there's a lot of people that have heard about life form and the same way there's a lot of people that have heard about gloom of Killforth and sense 66 and it's just nice to get that you know physical feedback isn't it really of and course see people interested and in coming up to you yeah i mean because there's so many games out there now the, the whole gaming scene has changed so much in the last 10 years and you've got all these independent uh, companies coming up and producing these yeah. amazing games and stuff and of course the um old faithfuls like fantasy flight delivering every year like tons and tons of new games yeah so to have guys like that actually drawn to come and approach us is just uh, yeah, yeah. a real eye-opener um, and and encouraging that we're still sort of making maybe not so much waves but ripples in the industry you know it's <laughs> I think it's a really good time for the industry in that respect, though, because the independent publishers and the independent game designers, you know, they can, they've just put their hand in the pocket. They've got a stall or a stand and they're right next to Asmodee. They're right next to Fantasy Flight. You know, they've, they've, you know, they've got a spot at the market and it's just brilliant to see everyone getting along so well. And, you know, the whole community sort of riffing off that. Yes. The atmosphere is brilliant. Definitely, definitely. And and how cool is it? I mean, imagine you had a small independent movie and you were allowed to go and take it to uh, Cannes Film Festival yes. and pitch it on the stand next door to Steven Spielberg. You yeah. know? And, and that's kind of the opportunity that you have at oh, UK Games Expo. I don't know how big it's going to get in the next 10, 15 years, but... Uh, but right now it's just it's brilliant i mean yeah we talked as well um you and i that we're we're gonna have jamie stegmaier on the show next week you know the creator of scythe and uh chartstone and all these amazing games like these multi-million dollar selling games yeah. and he's going to be on our podcast on board Chitless. so another reason That's to tune in next fantastic. week but it just shows you wait <laughs> but it shows you how approachable the people in this industry are you know that yeah um no matter what sort of success level they achieve they're always willing to get involved and talk about games and be involved in the community. The reason yeah. that you know these guys are approachable is because they're so happy to just jump on Board Game That's Geek it. and Facebook and all those other um, forums and talk about the games. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not just the um, like the designers and the critics and the reviewers. It's everybody really. Like, I had some really good conversations while I was at your stand with um, you know there's a guy um, with his son there and he was like you know. He wasn't just taking his son around, you know, the expo. He was like quite enjoying it himself. We had a, like a little chat about it, and um, that was really nice. And I don't want to get too big headed, but I got podcast recognised. <laughs> recognised my voice. So yeah. uh, thanks very much, Ned. We had a nice little uh, a micro chat. I'd call it over ten sixty six. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just lovely, absolutely brilliant. I love the size of the games expo this year. I didn't go into the Hilton, so I didn't see what that sort of rabbit's warren looked like this year. Yeah. But the actual floor space in the main hall was brilliant. There was like two halls worth, and it was like trade on one side, and then competition. And I think the um, the bring and buy was about the size of a small car boot sale within its own right. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, no, it was huge, and it it was still huge at the Hilton as well. Lucky there was like, um, do you remember the hall that we were gaming in last year? Yes, there was like yeah. that and that again, and then loads of wow. splinter rooms and event rooms going off 
for all yeah. different directions, all different shows and things that were going on. And um, yeah, no, it was yeah. it was mammoth. It was um, probably sacrilegious, but because I was only there for the one day, I purposely kept away from the Hilton because I thought, I'll, I could go anywhere <laughs> near there, I'm going to get sucked in like a black hole and no one will see me then for the rest of the weekend. I've got to get home. Well, um, one, of the, one of the beautiful things about UK Games Expo as well is it's still so much for the gamers. So yeah. obviously the most, most of the weekend I was stuck in the sort of trade hall area on our stand, um, which at Essen, for example, when I went last year, that's all that it's about is selling games and you know the trade whereas yeah. uk games expo is still very much for the gamers and for families so yeah. they have like the viking village outside they have they've got um food trucks everywhere they've got all these kinds of um events and tournaments and game playing areas where you can still very much go buy games and then go and find people to yeah. come play them with which i, I think is brilliant I was really surprised how much organized um, play there was, you know, like the um, the tournaments. So yeah. Fantasy Flight had a huge European um, competition running for a couple of different games. And then right, pretty much up opposite from your stand, there was um, there was another sort of competition going, um, a lot, you know, alongside all the extra... Yeah, um, the Pathfinder sort of role-playing game, areas. game yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. It really was ev- everywhere you looked. There was demos and people playing games and stuff, which you know that's what we're all about. So, no, it was it was a brilliant event, and I've already booked the hotel again for next year, so I can't wait to go back and, and get stuck in again. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what's what's an offer on the whole of nothing productions and next year. Hopefully, we'll have um, stock to actually sell. <laughs> Before we move away, did you manage to get away from the stall and have a look around? Is there anything that caught your eye this year? I've had very little time to um, to myself, really, apart, you know, outside yeah. of pitching and, and meetings and stuff. Um, but I did run around on the Sunday and get some selfies with some uh, notables in the industry. And there's some excellent games coming through and some like really kooky games and some interesting yeah. designs. Um, I went to chat with uh, the guys at... Uh, Escape from the Dark Castle, which we're going to have to yeah, feature. Yeah, I saw their stands. That was really cool. Yeah, um, they're doing brilliantly on the on Kickstarter with the reprint and expansions for Escape from yeah. the Dark Castle. Uh, there was Mark McKinnon's Wreck and Ruin. He's obviously been on the Board Shitless podcast before. And yeah, yeah, you interviewed him. Yeah, we did an interview with him, and he's for, he's launched Wreck and Ruin for the third time on Kickstarter now, and he's, uh, he's successfully funded now, so he's, he's straight into stretch goals as we speak. So that's a brilliant time for him. You know, he's finally got his sort of dream game off the ground. Uh, I also spoke to the guys at Post Human. They're having amazing success on Kickstarter with the Post Human game. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, yeah, we ran into Tom Vassell. There was wow. loads of really cool stands, loads of really cool no. games. Just so many games, so little time. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of time off the reservation, but no. a very productive time indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if any, if anybody wants to listen back to uh, Mark McKinnon's interview with Tristan about re- his Wreck and Ruin um, fundraiser, I think it was the second time round um, when he went into it, was it? Yes, um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so you can catch up with that at episode 24. So you just go back into the archive and you can just rest that out. So one of the advantages of uh, doing this over Skype is I can look at stuff, Tristan. I can use the interwebs. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I had a I had a good look around the hall. Um, but one game that caught my eye was a, it was a game called Hero Master, and it's a sort of um, parody dungeon crawl card game. Um, I think it's a very much a work in progress. So they had to do a demo in, but they also had um, which I thought was a really neat idea. Loads of like postcards and um, greetings cards and stuff. Oh, okay, which had the artwork. 
So they've got like quite unique artwork. It's very tongue in cheek. It reminds me. Have you seen um, Jim will paint it on Facebook at all? No. Like guy, guy uses like Microsoft Paint, and um, he just like paints ridiculous submissions that people brought in and uh, send into him. And it just reminded me a bit like that. It's really like lo-fi, but quite quirky and interesting. Is this the epic game of epic fails? He says. It is. Yeah, it it is. You know what? Yeah. The um, so the designer of this is JB, Jamie Noble Frey who did the artwork for Perdition's Mouth. Oh, wow. Which Incredible. Was, yeah, Perdition's Mouth is really dark. Uh, we've obviously done that on a podcast as well. Yeah, really. and this is like the other end of the spectrum. This, so, yeah, so he's gone from like dark, nasty, a dungeon crawly <laughs> sort of business to, yeah, no, I'd, uh, I've seen him post about this on Facebook. It's very sort of cartoony and sort of silly, tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah. Uh, it looks like one to watch. More of a sort of party game kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. It looked, it was on the lighter end of the spectrum, but it just it just really like it was a you know in a big show. It really stood out to me. Yeah, there was lots of fantastic games out there, um, but this one it just had that like that sort of you know tongue in cheek element to it that you know really appealed to me. So uh, I'm definitely keeping this one on the radar. So, yeah, moving on, let's go on to our first game this week, which was... Lovecraft Letter. So, Lovecraft Letter is, as it sounds, it's the um, thematic riff on Love Letter, but this time with Lovecraft. So, um, a lot of Cthulhu and some of the great old ones and the great deep ones, and you just get involved in there, really. Um, Trissa, how does this compare to Love Letter? Has it changed quite a bit? Yeah, it's um, well, it's Love Letter is a very basic game, isn't it? With sixteen cards, and yes. you, the rounds play extremely quickly. You knock each other out with, um, like, within playing two cards. If you can guess somebody's card, <laughs> pretty much, you can knock them straight out. Very much sort of a party game, super super light. Very yeah, different from the kinds of games that we play every week. Yeah. But uh, it serves as a nice introductory game. It's a great game. You introduced it to me, Lecky, on the train, on yes. or on the plane, yeah, maybe even Switzerland. On, well, yeah, on one of our holiday, on our working holidays. So, um, and um, it was the kind of game that we were playing in the pub, and you can just, you know, rattle through a few rounds as you're passing the time, um, having a drink or having a chat, and or on the train or traveling, whatever. It's very um, low uh, table. Sp- base <laughs> required <laughs> yes. Um, yes you literally draw a card and on the start of your turn you draw another card and you play one of them right so yeah. and you've got to collect every time you win a round you collect a cube and usually you have to sort of knock somebody out of the round using a card effect on one of your cards or if you manage to stay in the round till the end whoever's yeah. got the highest cost card wins so the cards are ranked number one to eight um, and that's kind of it, really. And, and That's look, it, yeah. yeah. It's just deduction, isn't it, really? Exactly, um, yeah. And, and look, of, loads of luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's quite, that. Yeah, it's quite fun for, you know, if, 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 if you're sitting down with gamers, you almost certainly would never get this game out. But for non-gamers, family members, people, you know, that you're just hanging out with on a, a long trip or, you know, before you go on a night out, whatever, it's a great yeah. game to, to break out and, and just rattle through. And Lovecraft Letter takes the exact same mechanics and provides a very slight twist on them. So you've got all the same cards again, but all the names have been changed. So instead of Princess, 
you've got the Necronomicon, um, yeah. and instead of uh, the guard who is the the card where it guesses it, or it tries to guess who the other players are, in this one you'll be playing investigators. And then yes. there's insanity mechanics, so very, oh, cool. very thinly sort of pasted on. But basically, if you play a card with a green number on it, then the green number means you are insane. Uh, but it gives you a different option, so it's 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 like the same ability as the original Love Letter game, but yeah. um, it will have a slight tweak to it that makes it a bit more a, insane. It's a slight shoot yourself in the foot mechanic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Short short term gains for long term activation <laughs> for almost certain death on the next turn. Yeah. Yeah, but there's some there's some cool elements to it. So if you do become insane, you can still win the game, but you have to win the game three times instead of two times two, if you're insane. insane. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite nice. And there's a whole um, so they've doubled up the amount of cards in the game, haven't they? So you've got as many um, insane cards, which are all the monsters, as you have the sane cards, which are all the investigators and the um, you know all the all the good people, the heroes, really. I believe so. Yeah, and the cards are much bigger. They're art they like. Well, the art in actually the art in Love Letter is is actually quite nice, and the art in Lovecraft Letter is sort of what you'd expect. So you've got yeah. deep ones and shoggoths, and even Cthulhu makes an appearance in there, and the nice little sort of uh, comic book re- uh, renders yeah. of those characters. You get um, poker chips to represent sanity and in- insanity, and it's all put together in a, a, a smart little package, really. And yeah, it's a nice. You get a really nice little box for it, don't you? It organizes it quite well. I think the most interesting thing about this for me was that um, Mrs. Ninja Dog, Francesca, picked this up whilst we were at the expo. And uh, (laughs) so I'll obviously never discourage her from buying games. Um, And she came over with, look, I've got Lovecraft Letter. And I was like, right. (laughs) A game I would almost certainly never pick up myself, but was very pleased to actually get the opportunity to sit down and play with her. And, you know, when we played um, on Thursday, we had... Uh, well, there were six of us playing. There's Jackie and Dave and Francesca and Raphael joining yeah. us as well. So, um, and it, so it takes up to six it, players, and you just rattle through it in ten twenty minutes. Yeah, and it held. It managed to hold the um, the game length quite nicely. If we did that, if we tried to play Love Letter with that many players, I'm not sure you actually can. Um, it would, you know, it'd be over in no time at all. So it's a it's a really intelligent way of expanding a game, adding new rules. Um, like I talked about it briefly like the other week, like a good expansion should keep the theme, keep the game as it is, but just add new elements that keep it interesting. And it's exactly what it did, really. It doubled up the amount of cards you've got so you can add more players. It brought in the insanity mechanics and it, it just did it very well. What The only thing that I um, disagree with with Lovecraft Letter is that I don't think it's it warrants the price tag. So I think it's um, RRP is about twenty pounds to twenty four pounds. Yeah, you buy it from. Whereas love love, love letter is about seven. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's like that's that's three times the price, and they've you know they've done a really good job in like making more of a game and making it feel like a Lovecraft letter definitely feels like more of a board game than Love Letter, but I just don't know if it's worth that much money (laughs) right no there are i think maybe 24 cards and admittedly the cards are bigger and you do get those poker chips but yeah i think you're right in terms of component quality hats off to them for um you know for commandeering those extra prices and and uh finding you know a higher tier 
to to pitch it at that it comes in a nice little box that opens up like a book but at the end of the day yes you you're not getting much bang for your buck at all really um and you could easily pick up love letter for as you say about seven quid yeah um, but then if if you are bored chitless of love letter <laughs> this is a good way of like you know escalating that itch really if you're bored chitless of love letter i'm not sure this is going to cure <laughs> you have to have at least a vague appreciation for love letter to begin with to get on with it i think um and, <laughs> i don't know I'm, i don't want to go slagging off of the games but, but no no was... no not at all i think it's a um like you know as a minor quibble really i think i think it's a it's a good game it's a nice game i don't want yeah like you say i don't want to go rambling on a tirade against it for no reason whatsoever it's um it's definitely fulfilling a purpose and they've done a very good job at expanding a game which you know it was sim- simplistically brilliant and again they've, they've retained the simplicity but they've made it bigger yeah it's a, it's a more rounded experience really and i don't think anyone could deny that <laughs> now that you've brought up the price point lucky you've made me feel bad about it <laughs> No. I'm, getting, I'm getting vicarious I'm buyer's remorse. And if Francesca's listening, I'm so sorry. I had a really good time playing the game, so don't think I'm. I'm just trying to be objective. We I'm should looking at it from. We should probably aspect. point out that we did play a real game tonight as well. We did. We did. Moving on to Runebound. Runebound, third edition. Yeah, so I've not played any edition of Runebound before we played this one. Um, so Runebound's a, um adventure game, really, isn't it? It's set in the... Is it, is it the Neverrealm? Terranoth. Terranoth world, yeah. Terranoth. The fantasy flights fantasy world. Yeah, it's yeah. very much a fantasy quest game, yeah. There we go. Yeah, so um, I've not played too many Terranoff games. I've actually played more Terranoff games than uh, I realised. Rune Age is a Descent is a Terranoff game. Descent is Terranoff. Runebound Second Edition, which is what I own, um, and it's quite different from Third Edition for, in a few ways. We'll come to in a bit. Um, yeah. Legacy of Dragonholt, which I'm playing through with a little one at the moment, Ooh. is all set in Terranoff and. I'd have to agree with Dave, to be honest, who said he's not a massive fan of the Terranoth world. It's um, it's okay. It's a fantasy world, but it's kind of... Yeah. The artwork is sort of cartoony. The adventuring is kind of... Or the, the, the theme is sort of quite light, it feels, even yeah. though there's probably quite a lot of lore out there, and I'm almost certain Fantasy Flight have a role-playing game set in the Terranoth yeah. universe. Yeah. It's very much family orientated, isn't it? It's family so, orientated, and it feels kind of generic um, yeah. sort of fantasy. Um, there are certain creature types and things that will pop up in every game that they have set in this world, and they'll always update it with, for example, there'll always be razor wings and these specifically yeah. bald bearded sorcerers that appear in every iteration of the games, and and a few things that um, fans of the Fantasy Flight Terranoth world will be happy to recognise appear. In all of the games, um, and yeah, it's it's legitimate um, thematic realm, isn't it? Really, yeah, you know, it exists in its own right. Exactly, um, it reminds me a little bit of Discworld. You know, that sort <laughs> of like there's goblins, there's creatures, there's people, there's wizards, but they're all just li- like you can't take any of them seriously, really. <laughs> Apart from the monsters, because they kill you all the time. 
I don't know if it's as light <laughs> as this world is. Oh, it's definitely, um, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't feel like, for example, if you're playing in, in Middle Earth, you know, you know you've know, you got yeah. serious end-of-the-world events happening and, you know, Tolkien's established world and that, whereas with Terranoth, it sort of feels like a, a little bit cuddlier and a little bit more uh, diet fantasy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll... We say that, but the, the game that we played, Roombound, um, the setting that we that Dave chose for us it was, um, was up, you're up against a dragon that's going to end the world, I guess, Margath, who yeah. is a returning character from the original second edition, uh, Roombound, or oh. first edition. So Ooh. probably just give a little bit of backstory about the first and second edition. I don't know much about the first. I think second edition is just a, a tightening of, of the first edition, but... Second edition Roombound is a fantasy adventure game where you're running around a big map that is very similar to the one that we played on, all made out of hexes, and yeah. you roll dice to see if you can move. The dice tell you which terrain you can move into, and occasionally you will roll the dice and not roll any terrains that are adjacent to you, which means you miss a turn, you're stuck. Okay. And when you come across an encounter in Roombound Second Edition, I bought a bunch of small box expansions for this, which... Uh, basically bulked out the item decks and the adventure decks, but the adventures were almost invariably find a monster and fight it and kill it yeah. and gain the treasure. Um, right, okay. And it was very much one of those games that I was... It, it's catnip for me, fantasy adventure games. I love those games. But it, it did sort of fall into that pattern of many other fantasy adventure games, which was kill monsters, steal the treasure, which yeah. was almost... <laughs> Yeah, almost the reason, but what well, was the reason why I designed Gloom and Killforth in the first place? Because I wanted okay. to play a game that wasn't just about fighting. Um, yeah. So you don't want to just have to grind your way to victory. You want to be able to feel like you've got some decisions to make. Yeah, and and have some actual adventures you know, and quests yeah. and stuff. So Roombound Third Edition definitely goes more towards that end. So there's loads of combat in it, but they've really driven the quest sort of story narrative. Yeah adventure side of it that is all present now which wasn't wasn't really okay. there previously yeah that's that's good to hear because from my, my experience just coming into it at third at this third edition it was incredibly questy um so you've got the you have quests that you go around and pick up and they'll tell you to go and explore a certain area yeah and then you throw the dice down and you see which match up and that'll dictate what you do find and if you move on not dice like runes dice runes okay so you're casting runes aren't you in room bound yes. now so previously it was roll 2d10 and try and score a number um and you know 10 was an easy monster 16 was a hard monster 20 was the boss in this one um, and obviously your items will give you modifiers to add to that role. So in Runebound 3rd Edition, you've got runes. You've got three runes for your character, and then you get yeah. a rune for each item you pick up, and you cast them or throw them off the table, as we often did. And yeah. on either side, you might have a sword for attack or a shield for defense or another sort of special effect. And you can you can use various combat actions to flip those runes over, and you do the same for the monsters. They cast runes at you, and you sort yeah, of... And it- put them into a chart and, that, and work out what's happened. Yeah, yeah. And they sort of cascade down, don't they, in a sort of AI, AI flowchart fashion. But the, the quests themselves, I'm sure we, it was the, the movement dice um, for the quests. And then um, you kind of take a result from the item deck if it's uh, social, perhaps. Yeah. 
Yeah. So are those still classed as runes then to keep it all thematically? I think so. Together. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, physically, you're actually throwing tokens into the box, right? Cardboard tokens, double sided. Yes. Yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, which is and interesting. Like, yeah. And it felt like you got a bit more agency then with, um, with that straight up just dice rolling. Um, even with custom dice, sometimes when it's like, you know, you've got critical, there's a hit, there's a miss, or there's a, another, like, you know, like usually a defense. Um, with these ones, sometimes it's defense on the other side, sometimes it's just a hit, sometimes it's a miss. Yeah. Um, different items will give you extra runes. And it just felt like um, there's a lot of modifying effects as well. So you could flip certain runes over if you got an agility rune fell, fallen down. Yeah, it can, it, it can nice. sort of dig down into sort of com quite complex um, interactions with those runes, can't it? Yeah. And each, so if you toss three or four runes down, each of them acts like a coin, and on the head side there's an attack, and on the tail side yeah. there's a defense, and, and variations on that. So you'll always, almost always, do something with whatever results you get. Which I guess plays into what you were talking about, giving you a little bit of player agency. You very rarely have misses. Oh no, you did have misses, I think, in your particular. Yeah, runes. yeah. Um, I picked up some misses in my items, but I think your starting runes are. I'm not sure. I can't speak for every character, um, but for my, I think Eliam, he pretty much he has all hits, and then the other side is an agility. Um, so you can flip over another rune if you need to, or you can try and make the monster reflick a rune, which yeah. is also a nice result. Um, and there's an armor, so there's you know you don't ever throw all your runes and think, oh no, I've I've missed one, That's <laughs> gone. It feels like something's always happening on your behalf. But then when you start getting items brought into it. So I was buying cheap items. It was being a bit of a cheapskate. Um, I think the most expensive item I bought cost me six gold. So both of those had a hit on one side and a miss on the other. So later in the game, that's where all my misses were coming from. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it very much, I mean, we only had one play, obviously, um, but it, it veered vastly away from the original room bound, which was like a Monty Hall treasure campaign where you were slaying monsters and running off to the yeah. city and buying loads of treasure. Whereas in, in third edition, the, uh, money was extremely hard to come by. I managed to buy one item the whole game. We were playing for three or four hours. And yeah. just at the very end of the game, before we went for the boss fight, I managed to find a single weapon for six gold. So it, yeah. it definitely veered away from the uh, classical power fantasy type adventure game where you really sort of feel the development of your character going from zero to hero and collecting loads of stuff over the course of an adventure, you're yeah. actually scrabbling for cash. Um, and it was extremely difficult. Uh, fighting anything felt like it could go either way. So, yeah. you, you, you know, in the first turn, I think Dave fought a dog on the prairie or whatever, and it basically rinsed him out of all of his hit points. Um, <laughs> and that wasn't uncommon. You know, each time you, you sort of a fight came out, you knew it was going to be a good couple of minutes or five or ten yeah. minutes spent flipping runes back and forwards and working out these battles where they would drain quite a lot of your, your, your hit points and then yeah. leave you in a position where in the next turn you'd have to sort of rest up and recover or risk running around this world with very low health and stuff. Yeah, which was, I was trying to take refuge at a town. Yeah, which wasn't really what I was expecting. Having played the original Runebound or, or Second Edition anyway, um, I thought it would be a lot more 
uh, options for sort of personalizing your character. So a little bit of that comes through in the experience cards where you train up and you can yeah. get skills that you add in. And the skill deck is huge and gives you loads of different options. But when you complete an encounter, you get um, a kind of XP. You get to keep the card as an XP. And you can trade in one, two, or three of these cards to get a skill. And the skills are extremely situational. Some of them are uh, almost worthless. Some of them are pretty cool. They give you an extra health or an extra option to use in a fight and stuff. Um, but that seems to be more of the focus. Unless we were just playing really badly, the focus was more on those <laughs> skills than actually getting all the treasure. Yeah, I think our next game would be a lot different. We um, we were picking up the skill cards we were training to get those skill cards into our hand, um, but then we weren't really learning any. We, were, we weren't um, as well. We weren't really exerting that many of them until towards the end of the game. I think you and Dave were probably the exception to that. I know that I got rid of like one to exert um, which meant that um i could buff some of my hit results on runes to make them unblockable and a bit more powerful yeah um and the main reason i didn't get rid of them was because i was holding on to them to try and learn them um but really i should have just been rinsing through them as quickly as possible until i found something that was really good for me be a bit more um, fast and loose with them sort of thing yeah exactly and i think we weren't maybe not taking advantage of the social um deck as well so there's um as well with the quests um, you can find on the maps and the um, so, well the the monster um, encounters, there's also social um, encounters. So you'll bump into somebody on the highway and they'll tell you to go and visit a village and maybe you can buy a cow or you can investigate something that's happening. I had to go and visit an auntie that I wasn't 100% sure was my <laughs> real relation. So we ended up stealing some, a necklace from her for seven gold, which was um, quite interesting. But when you complete quests or you complete um, encounters, like so a, a combat encounter or a social encounter, you keep it as a trophy and then you can use that to spend towards learning skills. So I don't, I don't think we really were t taking advantage of the quests and the um, social encounters to skill up maybe as quickly as we could do because there was some really good early game boons like... One that I picked up was if every time you get a trophy from combat, you'll get a gold, which will help you just earn a bit more um, as you're going along. And there was a load of other ones that just seemed a bit rubbish for my character and a couple of party skills as well that you could pick up. So maybe we just weren't doing the right things early, in, early on enough. And then that caught up with us later in the game, so we couldn't then do the more advanced things as easily maybe I th well a lot of them were very situational though for example i picked up a couple of quests early on which were so far on the other side of the map they were just never going to yeah. happen so yeah. it would have required a lot of resources to to try and, and time and effort yeah. to, for very little reward and i think that's still they've so they've kept an element of the movement from the original uh room bound where you you do roll dice to see if you're allowed to move uh, and sometimes you can flunk that and not be able to move from the, the hex that you're in. But yeah. now you get um, three actions. So you get less dice to roll. You get three movement dice to roll instead of five, which it was originally. Um, and you can boost that by buying a horse or whatever uh, yeah. to add more movement dice. But now you can move three times. It does still leave you in a position where you have to occasionally spend maybe a couple of rounds just moving across the map or trying to move across the map yeah. to get to where you want to go. Um, but then you're, you're weighing up the effort that it takes to do that versus 
do I just stay in this little corner? So, for example, we all kept to our one corner of the map for almost the entire game because you're moving to the quests that are nearby, yeah, activating those. Part, yeah. yeah, and sort of going through those. And by the time you've, you've sort of got three or four of them, uh, the game has moved on and refreshed them all so you can go back and pick them up again. So, and and the, re- the rewards for going across the map to these other quests that you have weren't always big enough to make you want to bother. The, sort of thing. the rewards were pretty terrible, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> like you say, robbing an auntie's necklace or, uh, yeah, it it didn't yeah. always match up. Um, and there were a couple of overarching themed quests that the game scenario generates. So up against Margath, um, spoiler alert, there are these quests that are generated by the game where you can go along, learn a bit of lore about how to fight him, and we were curious about what this law would mean, you know, would, would we be able to use it against him in the final battle? And actually, um, all these law tokens functioned as was extra hit points, which was almost worthless for the, for the time that you spent <laughs> trying to accumulate them. They they meant very little when it came down to the, the final rock. Yeah. They did um, develop the story a little bit, though. There was some nice flavor in the back there. And it was interesting um, before when you mentioned that Margaff of came in runebound um second edition because the uh, flavor text at the beginning of the um quest was you know like oh my gosh you know she's been dealt with once before but there's rumors they might return oh okay that was that was quite nice yeah Um, so it felt like you were very much part of this existing universe yeah um if as a group we cared about the story that much or not um it's a bit more debatable because we didn't really go for the stories, did we? We, we picked up a couple of lore um, runes throughout the course of the game, but we weren't hunting them down um, actively. There was there was no cooperation. We played we played the cooperative <laughs> expansion. So Dave had the um, I think Unbreakable Bonds or something it's called. So actually, normally it's a race game to be the first one to beat the bottom yeah. win. So this was a co-op expansion. So technically, we're all supposed to be working together, but there was no player interaction other than being the monster for the guy sat next to you we didn't have yeah. any um our characters never met or teamed up or did anything or, yeah. or traded or anything like that we all just went off and did our own thing until we all finally came together for the boss battle um at which point there was still no actual player interaction really we just took it in turns to have a go at him and he took it in turns to have a go at us yeah you go around don't you yeah and yeah. um and we flipped the, the tokens and it was fun. It was actually it was a fun sort of puzzle thing. So when it came to the boss battle, as I said, I had a single weapon. I think you guys managed to maybe get a weapon and a piece of armor. Yeah, I got some boots and a sword. And there was so four of us went in for the final fight, and I guess that's where the coordination, such as it were, was yeah. came in. We we all rushed to the same point, jumped on the dragon, and initiated the boss battle. And Jackie and Dave and you and I um, all took a separate card that he has, which gives yes. him like four different abilities. So he, for me, he acted, the dragon acted as a trickster. For you, he acted as a warrior. For yeah. Dave, he was a savage. And, and each of those had a separate um, set of skills that he used against you. So mine might have been more damaging. Yours might have been more evasive. And, and yeah, he had more initiative with me. Yeah, and you get a different stack of runes to flip, and then you work out what he's done to you and how you can yeah. hit him back sort of thing. So it's it brings like, it, it's like a multiplayer puzzle, but you sort of take it in turns to solve your element of it. And he has this huge stack of like 56 health 
that the four of us had to try and uh, chip away at. And I think we all got two two chances to do that before yeah. um, he murdered us all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so we got, we got, we got down to like five health out of 56. So the, the balance on that certainly felt achievable yeah. in, the, in the final battle there, yeah. I feel, yeah, I feel like we did really well. And like you're saying, we weren't very cooperative. We did manage to get some um, group abilities a, a few turns before the dragon showed up, but that's because we knew it was near the end game and we should probably do something to <laughs> help ourselves out, really. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we played again cooperatively, if we'd, our playstyle would change. If we could achieve more, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, like you were saying with the, with the final showdown, um, we each had a different... Um, like attack type coming at us but each each um ability that margaf has there they run the other monsters throughout the entire game so there's a trickster type there's a mystical type there's a martial or a warrior and then there's one more um which evades me now um it's probably, it's probably evasive one of them was um, savage i don't know if that savage, was the warrior type there we go it's like the brute one yeah so um as you're encountering them through the game you can kind of try and work out which ones suit your strengths and all your weaknesses and then i suppose by the time you get to the end a more experienced party might be like right i'm having the trickster because i've got this particular wand or anti-trickster abilities or whatever yeah, yeah. ability will counter it nicely um but that's just gameplay experience but what would be interesting would be if we played a game or two competitively so we're literally racing to the end we're going to see who can beat the dragon first yeah and then we're probably more inclined to pay more attention to what we're doing. <laughs> to get the, like, the leg up on everybody else, I think. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, through, through the game it felt a little bit like we might be waiting for the other players to sort out the game for us while we try and min-max a little bit yeah. and do the things that we wanted to do. So like, all my player decisions were um, stimulated purely by I want to get money to buy these things that I want and then it, it didn't really work out in the end. <laughs> That's a winning strategy. Um, so playing competitively, we might, you know, work out the game a bit quicker. And then when it comes to playing cooperatively again, we might we might do better. We might not. We might <laughs> still be very much selfish people. No lessons um, learned. No, no, not at all. But I felt I felt like the game um, it it wasn't out of our reach. But at the same time, it you it really is a bit of a thinker. It is a it's a living puzzle that you have to work your way through. Really, yeah. I f- I feel like we we got the ending that we deserved. As a party. <laughs> the world got the ending it deserved. Or maybe <laughs> they yeah. weren't the heroes that the world wanted or needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd definitely go back to Runebound again, though. It was a um, it's a very interesting game. The the playtime um it took us a while to complete, didn't it? It was a good so three or four hours, wasn't it? Yeah. Hours. Yeah, um, but considering the mechanics of the game, the, ga- the mechanics at- aren't complicated at all, really. The hardest part to learn was how the runes work in combat. Yeah. And how the AI- more importantly, though, with the focus on the AI, with the monsters, how you work that out. Um, but we got up and running with that quite quickly. It just takes a while um, to resolve, doesn't it? It's a bit like the, the sort of bots does. in um, Labyrinth or one of those kinds yeah. of games where you, you're run- working your way down a row to see... You know, does it attack now? Is it doing a magic thing now? Or is it doing a, mm. a flip a token ability now? And you just sort of read yeah. along and, and initiate all of its attacks one by one. That's it. And then you just throw a load of sort of collect and deliver style quests in the middle to run down the timer. Yeah. Um, which kind of forces you to try and work out, do I want to stay in one geographical area or do I try and run 
back and forth between all the quests or not. There was a good, there's a great mechanic in the game that we didn't use a single time. Um, I think it's because we only um, caught up with it um, about a third of the way into the game as well, but the messaging system. So when you're playing cooperatively, you can message a, another hero. So if you've got a skill card or a um, trophy, I don't think you can do it with items, um, but there's a couple of other different um, sort of player cards that you can then send on to another player via the messaging system from one city to another. So if I'm in, um, in one city, I can send a skill card that I know the uh, mage might be able to use quite handily and send it across the map to them. And then when they go to the city, they can collect it and then they'll be able to learn it, hopefully. Um, so there's a lot of like um, player um, cooperation that can come into it with that, but we just didn't use it really. It was it was interesting. There were lots of sort of innovative mechanics in it uh, with the runes and stuff, uh, and like you said, the messaging system. And obviously, we, ne- yeah. we never saw that pan out. I think um, and and fantasy adventure games are obviously catnip to me. <laughs> I think I preferred the the storytelling and emergent story in Fallout uh, as an adventure game as a recent adventure yeah. game that we played. But I would like to give Runebound another go and see if there's like um, see how much more we can get out of the system, you know, by now that we've all grokked how the runes work and, um, as you say, either playing it competitively or giving it another, <laughs> giving it a proper go cooperatively and seeing if we can get into those market decks because the, the gold yeah. business just seems um, quite strange. It was it was unachievable, really. It felt unachievable to be able to rack up enough gold to go and buy items, which seems ludicrous because there are loads on offer at any given point. There's like 12 yeah. items. There's three in each city sitting on the table mm. and four cities you can go to and sort of um, go shopping. It's That's yeah. a fundamental part of the game. But it was something that we seemed to sort of struggle to gather the resources to be able to yeah. do. We weren't really passing decks at all, were we? Like we could have gone shopping yeah. all the time. And then I think when you when you visit a shop, do you draw a new... You draw a new card, but you need the gold to shop in the first place, I think. Or, or well... You just need the gods to be able to buy yeah. something. And, and you, need, you need to have something in the kitty, don't you? Yeah. To be able to. And we were so not we rolling in cash. And, and Z- no. uh, Dave said there's some rule as well where you, even in a cooperative game, you can't trade with each other. So I, I couldn't just give you That's stuff. Right. I couldn't give you a sword. You'd have to give me something in return. I'm not 100% yeah. sure how that worked, but that felt like a sort of um, a mechanical uh, solution to not just, you know, catching up the guy who's falling behind by giving him the big, powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm not another, sure how that would play. Item, another item might have to come back, but we didn't really dis- go deep into that, did we? Nobody <laughs> gave anybody else an item. So. Like, because we, at one point we all had about five trophies, so we could have maybe sent an item one way um, in exchange for a trophy. Yeah. You don't know. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how that how that would um, could be gamed a little bit more to help us kind of move up a bit quicker. It's a very lean game in terms of adventuring and equipment. Um, it, everything's moving towards like more minimalism, isn't it? Um, so like Zombicide, you can only equip a certain amount of items and one set of armor, although you can hold on to a lot of it. In Runebound, you can hold on to one of each type. So when you go shopping... Um, you can get a weapon, a piece of armor, and like an augmentation. Um, but then once you've got one, you have to burn it if you want to re-equip on top of it. Yeah. So if I was to 
buy a sword, then I wanted to give you the sword, then I've kind of, that's it. What I don't I don't have any, anything to really help my attacks then until I go back to the shop and buy myself something new. Get more swords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you can't just wander around with like a, a huge backpack full of weapons and then just be throwing them around at everyone and then when you pick, you know just waiting for that you know big bad weapons to come out and then chuck in chucking down the next ones it it didn't seem to be that sort of a game it was very much like this is the family sword it cost me an arm and a leg yeah when when my son's of age he will inherit it i think lean Um, is the right word that you used there yeah Yeah. i think dave called it bleak (laughs) you you don't you're not like just carrying yeah as you say tons of weapons and stuff and i think that sort of response to older games like arkham horror where there was no item limits you could literally have like 15 shotguns or whatever yeah and just you know go ape on, on any enemies you met whereas in this it's very much um uh, juggling the single or two pieces of items that you manage to collect along the way uh, yeah. which perhaps just gives you less to focus on and hopefully maybe speeds the gameplay up a little bit as well yeah i think so um i think it gives you a bit more of an objective really with how what you might want in order to improve your character um, and it, it sort of like, you know, adds the blinkers, gives you a focus of what you're trying to achieve. I really like um, like the storytelling in the quests. Um, they all get, like the flavor text was nice. They're all quite lighthearted and they seem to work together to create like an adventure feel to the game. Yeah, and Dave said they're, um, they're sort of seeded by the adventure that you choose to make them all oh, thematically nice. linked to the boss that you're fighting. Cool, that's cool. So rather than just being like a, a random mishmash bit like um, Dead of Winter, the Crossroads game, when the Crossroads cards come out, they all play well for the theme of the game, but they're not really. I believe so. I don't. Do I don't know. I don't know if it's all of them or or just a certain section yeah. of them. But yeah, they're they're all supposed to be thematically linked. So if you're playing, if you're fighting Margath, you're gonna get Margath themed cards, like the yeah. dragon themed cards, which we had, didn't we? That was like young we dragons did, yeah. will come out after us. Uh, the end of the round and and certain stages and and there's other <laughs> got taken out. <laughs> yeah and there's other situations you can come across like there's other um final bosses in fact he mentioned there was one there's like a plague that you can fight as well which again has plague themed events rather than um you know you won't get a coterie of young dragons coming after you if you play that version yeah. so that's nice i like that and and that also reminded me a little bit of fallout as well fallout seeds those story adventures quite cleverly so that somebody comes into the game, an NPC comes in, and your decision affects whether or not they live or die or, or do something uh, pivotal. And then you get another story card that tells you what happens next. And I really like that idea that within a game, you've got this ongoing burgeoning narrative sort of thing. And I yeah. don't know if we felt it too much in Runebound, but um, it is there. It's in the mechanics. And I think playing it more and getting past like processing the rules and playing it more quickly will yeah. allow you maybe to dip or delve deeper into those narrative elements because yeah. um, the actual ones that you draw location to location tend to be, as you say, you know, um, <laughs> meeting your auntie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had some, you know, some jury out in the woods to go and talk to. And, and those are quite yeah. disparate adventures, which is fine. You know, if they're like side quests kind of yeah. thing. There's a few, there's a couple of the quests though, like you were saying, they were linked to the theme, so they were um, like veteran dragon slayers, weren't they? Yes, so... You, like, you'd, you'd heard tale of them and you didn't know if they were just lunatic hermits. And if you go and speak to them, they can give you specific lore that will help you fight 
Markath. Um, yeah. And the, and then you get those law tokens, which you can use in the final battle. Yeah. As, as extra points. Which again, we only needed five more law tokens to potentially stay in the game and kill the dragon. So, I don't, yeah, it's one of those. It's there's if there's a couple of different ways of beating the game, and it just felt like we were halfway towards each one of them, as opposed to of nailing, you know, one or two definite strategies to make sure we could make the world a dragon dragon safe place. <laughs> yeah, it was a good effort for a first stab and, uh, well, and juggling a lot of things. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, there you go. Uh, Runebound adventure game from Fantasy Flight Games. De- third edition is well worth a visit. If um, if that's your bag, really, if you're into adventuring, then get stuck in. I think there's a lot to um, be taken from this game, especially the rune mechanics. I, w- I was a bit dubious, really, going into it, that the um, combat mechanics would make much of a difference to the game. But it felt it was very much an individual game, really. It's um, It feels very unique because of it. Yeah, definitely some interesting new mechanics there and a nice change of pace from uh, rolling dice. There is dice rolling in the game for when you're moving, uh, but the yeah. casting of runes, as you say, I, I felt a bit sceptical about it beforehand as well, but it actually plays quite nicely. And if you think about it in terms of, you know, um, rolling a six-sided dice and having uh, one, two, and three have one effect, <laughs> four, five, and six have the other effect, yeah. it's the exact same net result. But it feels more interesting because you're flipping these tokens and uh, using these symbols to resolve different combat effects that's it and because it's all 50 50 it feels a bit less sometimes you feel a bit less hard done by when it does come up as a miss or uh, something that wasn't quite what you wanted yeah and um, yeah you know it's nice it was nice okay then so that's room bound um thanks very much for joining us this week and we'll see you next week and hopefully joined by our very special guest jamie stegmeyer so we'll see you there thanks very much and goodbye bye